All right. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast, episode number 176. I'm your host, Bailey Eichbrett, and I'm joined by the captain, Andy Fole. I'm not even going to introduce you as the co-host anymore. You're just the captain. Fair enough. You should you should, shouldn't even use Andrew Fole in your name, like on the stream anymore. Just put the captain. <laughs> the captain. <laughs> Do you watch uh, How I Met Your Mother? I have. I have, yes. Do you know who the captain is in How I Met Your Mother? Blanking. Who? He, he he's like later in the show, like one of the the characters like dated some girl and like her former like her ex husband or something like that. Mm. Like I, I don't think he has a name in the show, but he's just known as the captain because he owns a boat. So he refers himself to as the captain. That's so funny. Every, every time he say it, because I think. Of... <laughs> yeah. I <heard> it. <laughs> but dude, uh, what's going on today? What's going on with you? I know you had some uh, some busy stuff today with the guide trip. Or yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get some dates together here, send out some reminders to some of the people that reach out to me first so they can pick the dates that they want. Nobody's really gotten back to me yet, but yeah, we're starting to get it going, Yeah, which is pretty exciting. And then I got some baits in. Yes, there there's spawn cherry on the bottom. Oh, so I'm finding it. And uh, yeah, it's been a good day. How about you? Doing doing the same, man. I mean, obviously, you're starting your your guide business. We're both kind of like starting our own little endeavors, kind of trying to work for ourselves, that sort of thing. And uh, did some website design for a client today. Got cranking away with that, and uh, things are slowly picking up. Things are looking a little bit better, but uh, just grinding away and doing doing what we're we're working towards, working for ourselves and what we enjoy, and that's that's the important part. So Heck yeah, man. Heck yeah. Yeah. But today we have a really cool episode. We're getting on Mr. Drew Gregory. Uh, he was Angler of the Year for the Hobie BOS series, which, in my opinion, uh, Hobie BOS is the epitome of competitive kayak fishing. The creme uh, of the crop. Exactly. In the yeah. world. That's yeah. awesome. So that's a, that is a big accolade. So we're going to talk to him about that. Uh, he also has his own show, Hooked on Wild Waters, a podcast he does where he goes over a lot of interesting topics concerning the kayak fishing industry. But he, he doesn't just stop there. He kind of branches there's a lot of stuff uh, that we kind of into try to branch out to, to everything. So that's, what's really interesting about it. Um, kind of a like with his show in that, in that way. So it's going to be exciting to talk to him about his inspiration with that, you know, what his idea was going into it and what he wanted to make it. But uh, overall, it's going to be a really fun show. Um, before we bring Drew on here, um, quick reminders for everybody. If you guys want the 2021 uh, podcast apparel, so we're getting pre-orders in right now. So head over to social media. Let us know if you want anything, and we'll get those uh, get those orders in. We're, we're getting in the orders in next week, so make sure you guys let us know if you do want those. And uh, also, if you're doing Bassmaster Fantasy Fishing, make sure you join our group. Top three winners win some pretty sweet stuff, and uh, hopefully we'll be adding more prizes from our show partners here soon, which we have some new show partners to announce, but not going to announce soon. today. Soon. Soon. Not today. <laughs> but in time in a couple shows i guarantee you. within the month i promise but uh it's it's gonna be a good time and uh without further ado let's uh let's get drew on the show what's going on man not much guys not much man so pumped to be here I'm a big fan of the show uh, i've listened to oh man i don't know how many episodes but uh i love it you guys are doing them. a great job yeah <laughs> all of them that's right andrew <laughs> all of them that's the correct answer Perfect. I don't want to get kicked off before I get started here. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm excited and uh, probably not as excited as Andrew is because, uh, you know, the Bills did win. And uh, that was an exciting game. Watch that. And I now live in – I moved from the south where I grew up and now in northeast Ohio in the Cleveland-Akron area. So, you know – the Browns did make the playoffs, so I'll, I was I'll hoping say the that. Browns would come to Buffalo. Yeah. I yeah. was hoping. I bet you were, man. Patrick Mahomes, I wouldn't want to see him either. I, mean, I agree. I'm not going to see him either way. No, that's right. <laughs> no, he's, he's going to Kansas gonna City. Play. He's going to play. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm actually not too worried about that game. I think the Bills have a much better chance, and that's just not be being an optimistic Bills fan. I think we match up really well against KC and. The first time we played them this year, we lost by nine. We held them to, I think, like th- 360 yards total offense. And Josh Allen was playing with a bum shoulder, and three of our starting receivers were hurt. So Yeah, that's true. That's true. I'm excited to see the game, man. I was – God, the, the Browns were so close, though, and, that, and yeah. they really were. They were so close. I mean, they had their chances, and uh, but that's all right, man. I'm excited to just be up here and uh, a little closer to you guys and maybe – even join you guys on the water at some point since we're not too far away, but I can't wait to see where this, this podcast goes. I mean, I got coffee here. I'm ready. I don't care how long you guys want to talk. I'm, I'm game, man. <laughs> we will chat. Oh, <laughs> there's a reason why Andy and I do a podcast and I'm sure, you know, cause you do a podcast as well as that. We all love to talk. So this, who knows how long this one could go, but Mm. Uh, dude, yeah, we're glad to have you on the show. And before we get too deep in everything, like everyone that's new to the show here, uh, we want to know, you know, how you got into fishing that first time going bass fishing and who installed the passion in you. Yeah. So, you know, it was uh, my dad, mom and dad, both of them fish. They're from East uh, Texas, Southeast Texas in the Beaumont, Port Arthur area. And uh, I was actually born in, in Fort Worth, uh, Texas. We lived up there for a brief amount of time when I was a couple years old. So uh, they, they pretty much got me into it along with my grandparents, both, both sides, they all fished. So, uh, Matter of fact, the Sabine River, where the uh, Elite Series is going, that's where I was fishing with my grandfather and uh, on Cal Bayou. That was his favorite bayou. You can look at it, see it on the map. I'm sure some of the guys will end up in there. But um, that's what kind of, I guess, got me started in all of it. And there's not one specific memory I can say. I've got all kinds of stories, obviously, but I know everyone has one memory that sticks out, you know. Mine is just a multitude because I don't want to pick, like, oh, the time that I, you know, caught the sheep's head in cow bayou when on a rebel crawfish right with my grandfather and i thought i was hung up and i handed it actually to my dad he was there and next thing you know the lion starts screaming and it cuts his hand that was a cool one but i've also got stories <laughs> of just waiting the creeks in tennessee where, where you know with my dad where we moved to and, and then eventually atlanta where i grew up in the south uh, atlanta pretty much when i was about eight years old and and, and beyond and uh just just a lot of crazy wild stories happen there in Georgia where we are blessed to have so many of these black bass species, which is certainly something we could talk about tonight because I have caught um, all the, the black bass species, except for one that's, it's new. And it's actually not a species. It's a subspecies or a strain. We don't even know yet, but I keep track of all the ones that aren't even official. So, um, but anyway, I, I definitely caught uh, a lot of cool fish there. One of them was a shoal bass and one of my most memorable um, fishing excursions. I was by myself, which I don't recommend. But back then I was by myself in a kayak and the shoal bass's scientific name is fish of the waterfalls. You guys ever heard of shoal bass? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you've heard of them. So they're one of the actual official designated species that got designated in about 1997, 98. And so 
it, it really lives in the rapids, it, in the waterfalls. It mm -hmm. does not live in lakes. It's only in Georgia, a few tributaries in Alabama on the border there, and uh, one one population in Florida. So I'm in this class three rapid section of shoals. It's nuts. The water's up. I definitely should not have been out there by myself. And my foot, I was holding myself on a rock with one foot and the kayak was in the other, on the other, just kind of hold myself steady in the middle of this little, small little plunge pool in between two huge rapids. And I, and the cool thing with shoal bass is they'll live in that stuff and they'll, you can catch them on giant swim baits. So imagine just plopping a giant swim bait, you know, kind of semi-stained water. So you can get kind of close plus the white water. You can get real close to fish and they will just, just inhale it to where you, there's just slack in your line. You know, that feeling just don't, Oh, and yeah. I remember hooking this fish. It was about a five and a half pounder, but it pulled me off my kayak and I off that rock. And now I'm going down the class three rapids in this kayak and swimming. I'm holding onto the kayak, holding on the rod with one hand on the kayak with the other swimming and getting just churned around in all this white water downstream. And honestly, it looks exactly like the scene from a river runs through it with Brad Pitt on the very end of that movie. If you've ever watched it where he's fighting that trout and getting swept down the river Man, I just, when I finally caught that fish and I looked up, I looked around, I'm like, nobody just, no one saw that. Obviously, like no one's there. No one saw that. And I was like, if the world could ever see how exciting this sport is, it could change people's lives for the better. It could get kids into something really positive, really fun, you know, very health conscious sport, you know, a lot of good fitness and, um, you know, involved in that sport, obviously. And just hooked on something, man. It was awesome. So that's well, that's kind of where I was like, I gotta start working towards maybe doing that, you know. So that's kind of what. So there's a few little stories all wrapped up in one. How I got, you know, kicked off in this sport. That's Thank cool. You. So wait, wait, backtrack, because we talked about this over the phone real quick. Is you were talking? What was it? Seventeen species or something like that of black bass that you mentioned? Yeah, there's like. Uh, Oh man, I just did a podcast about this with uh, my biologist friend, Dr. Steve Sammons from Auburn. If anybody wants to go back and listen to the Hooked on Wild Waters podcast, it's four hours long. It's two parts. So trust me, you learn a lot about every species and strain. But there are 18 total, but of the ones that are actually officially designated, I believe there's nine now. And we, what we call spotted bass, people commonly call spotted bass, just to give you guys a little bit of a glimpse, um, they're not they're not the Kusa strain of spotted bass is actually not no longer called spotted bass, but that's the one we all like to refer to because they're the ones that get big and mm -hmm. they are actually um, called Alabama bass. There is no spotted in their name. They're at the Alabama bass, but anglers are going to be hard. Or it's a lot, takes a lot longer for anglers in the community to ever pick up on the, the biologist and what they've actually technically done. So, yeah. So anyway, there's about nine. Um, I could try to run them off on the top of my head. Let's count them. See, there's they're obviously largemouth, and the Florida strain is not considered a separate species. That it's just there's largemouth bass, smallmouth, the the uh, spotted bass, which is actually the northern strain in the Ohio River, Mississippi River system, right? So all that's the northern strain, which is also called Kentucky. So how many is that? You guys tell me out here. Is that three? That's three. Yeah. So four would be the, the I, I just kind of refer to it as the Alabama spotted bass because if I say Alabama bass, no one knows what I'm talking about. They're the right. ones that get big. They get really big and they're moving their way all the way across the eastern seaboard. It's actually a big problem. Um, it's yeah, I could get into it even further, but it's complicated. They're the ones that are the most dangerous because they're fun to catch and anglers love them, so they move them. But they hybridize with smallmouth. 
the northern strains, which have always lived na naturally with smallmouth, right? The Kentuckys, they don't hybridize. So they're not really a threat. And what I mean by threat is if you have a, a, an Alabama spotted bass hybridizing with a smallmouth, then it's a 50-50 after that. And then if it happens again, it's a 25-75, right? And then eventually one day, there's no more pure smallmouth bass. They're gone. Mm. They'll wipe them out uh, because they are the Alabama spotted bass will hybridize with all the other ba bass species, all of them, except for largemouth. They can mate with all of them. So they're the most kind of scary and dangerous to the biologist community on where these things are moving and what will happen when they're trying to manage their populations of fish, you know, for us to catch. They want to keep the fish that are native there where they are, you know, like in Virginia, there's a lot of them that are, um, I'll get back to the count. Don't, I haven't forgotten. We're on four <laughs> <laughs> in Virginia. For example, there's a lot of lakes they are getting starting to get these Alabama spotted bass moved. And obviously they came originally from the Coosa system, which the Etowah river is the headwaters of that in North Georgia. The Etowah river happens to be right next to Lake Lanier, even though they're, they're flow out of different drainages, right? That's the Appala Appalachicola and the Chattahoochee. So it was easy for someone to first move fish to the Lake Lanier. Well, Lake Lanier, they blew up because the herring, and by the way, these, these fish, the Alabama spotted bass that get big, they are so good because in all lakes these days, and I'm not saying anything negative about this fish, guys. They're awesome. I love to catch them. And they're really good in a lot of ways because when a lake ends up with its, um, after the you know, first 10, 20, 30 years, there's a, something called, it's actually about the first 10, 10 to 20 years, the eutrophic up, the trophic upsurge. And that's when the most nutrients in the lake, it's like killer, right? There's always like, when lakes peak out, everyone you hear everyone talk about, Oh, back in the heyday when so-and-so was so good. That's because all the nutrients, when you flooded the lake and you had all those trees that were, you know, uh, had branches and leaves and everything decayed and it created so much nutrients. There was like this, this mass amount of like just good quality food in life. So anyway, the, but what happens is silt eventually fills in these lakes. Right. And then you don't, and those, those decaying, the trees become just, you know, let's take like a Lake Fork or, Rayburn, Toledo Bend, wherever they just left trees, right? You'll see an old tree in the water has like nothing but a trunk left, right? So all those nutrients have been like depleted and gone. So, and then silt comes dumping into these lakes, right? So they're covering up a lot of the, the good nutrients too. So what do we have? We just have this giant lake that stinks, right? For, for what we want to do, it's not that cool. Uh, there's not a lot of life there. So what do we do? We put an artificial, we make an artificial ocean, put herring and different shad species that roam in the open waters. So now we have the food again because they can eat algae and eat small plankton. And then we add spotted bass, the Alabama spotted bass, because they're the most proficient at living in open water like that. They can swim around, roam, you know, very much like a striper, you know, just roam mm -hmm. really well. Nomadic, yeah. yeah, yeah. largemouth just want to be in a, in a blowdown or in a tree, you know, or buy some big boulders. You guys know that smallmouth yeah. prefer to be around rock, but once the rock gets silted in and covered up and they want current, you know what I mean? They, they like certain things that, you know, but once the lakes start to become, like I said, that, that trophic upsurge is gone and gets depleted and it's on the decline. These Alabama spotted bass really are the best solution to keep an awesome fishery. Otherwise you guys have been there. There's some fisheries that stink. So, and it's because herring and the, and the shad, different kinds of shad and bait fish that roam aren't there and the Alabama spotted bass aren't there, but Virginia's freaking out because the, they could mess up all the great smallmouth fishing in the James river, the Rappahannock, Susquehanna, Delaware, as they keep moving North, they're going to, they could potentially wipe out 
um, all those and take over because smallmouth bass aren't even native to those rivers that we all are just synonymous with great smallmouth fishing and they took over. So now you got a, a species that could take them over that could happen, but it's, it's going to be, you know, past our time when it happens. So hopefully we can at least get the word out about stop moving those Alabama spotted bass. Cause they're, they're plenty enough, you know, in plenty of places already. And my God, smallmouth is, is, you know, in my opinion, the hardest fighting black bass and my favorite one anyway. So why would you want to mess that up? So <laughs> anyway, so go, that's, that's a little side note on, uh, you guys are gonna have to keep me reined in. I'm telling you, I'm I'm a mess. So, <laughs> all right. So uh, number five. Number five. Thanks, Andrew. You keep me on point here. Number <laughs> five is the uh, let's just say the shoal bass is next, and uh, they get. I've caught a couple over seven pounds. The world record's eight twelve. State record in Georgia, I believe, is eight uh, three. Uh, which we're trying. We meaning a lot of guys in Georgia. Uh, I say we still being from Georgia are trying to get the world record back to Georgia where it belongs. So hopefully that'll happen one day uh, because Florida holds that world record just below the Apalachicola dam, which is right on the border of Georgia and Florida, which is the dam right below Lake Seminole. So they don't even live there anymore. And that they hold the world record Florida does because they dredged out all the limestone and, and what little limestone was there and shoal bass need rocks and shoals to spawn. That's what they spawn. And that's all gone due to the barges that go all the way down to Apalachicola Bay. But um, it, they're cool fish, guys. They really are. If you've yeah. never caught them, they're, they're awesome. And yeah. uh, That's one yeah. thing I actually have on the bucket list is going after a shoal bass. Nice, yeah. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to remember whose page it is. There's an Instagram page I've followed for a long time, and it's uh, an older gentleman. Like He basically uh, – oh, God. He throws um, – uh, what is the, the swim bait? Oh, my gosh, I'm blanking. This is embarrassing. Um, Oh, what the heck is that? It's a jointed swim bait, like a bull, a bull shag. Bullshad. Oh, yeah. They crush bull shads. They crush them. I'm trying to remember what his name is, but it's like uh, – I can't remember. But he would post pictures of basically how he'd go and wade through with his kayak, yeah. throw him basically only ever through like an eight-inch bull shad and would just catch these yeah. giant shoal bass. And they crush it, it, man. They're such a – I'm telling you guys, if you're a fan, if you're an absolute just fish head like, you know, Bailey and Andrew and, and myself – Go back and listen to that four-hour podcast with Dr. Sammons because he tells stories on there because he was the one that did the research, and, and that's kind of how I met him originally. Uh, Georgia DNR contracted him from Auburn and his team of students, right, to go and do a lot of the research on shoal bass because they needed to know about them and how to protect them once they were designated a separate species. Right. And he's got stories that will just blow your mind, like, like shoal bass that have swam – you know, 40 miles and a hundred miles They when they've radio tracked them and they had to get in airplanes to find them. They're like, these fish, he actually told us on the podcast. He said they are closer to the Columbia river, the Northwest, like, uh, suckers. And when they, uh, move to spawn and spawning runs or closer to a paddle fish that you, you mm -hmm. catch out like Oklahoma or wherever and how they act than a bass. He said, they're weird. And we all knew that they were different. We didn't know how far they, they moved because, they all congregate these, the giant shoal complexes in the spring to spawn, and they're very, very dumb. I mean, like that time of year they are. Not all the time, time of year. Are they're we talking like, northern smallmouth dumb? Yeah, or? exactly. Yeah, like that, okay. like that dumb. But um, they congregate all there. It's kind of like they're all. They all know it's you know they. It's like they live in a college town, and they know that Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, we're all going here downtown at this bar. We're all congregating. We're, we're going to, you know, all the ladies are going to be there. It's a great all, it's, 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 it's true, man. I don't know what's wired in the brain, but they just go straight to these 
major shoal complexes and they just munch. And anyway, so they're a great fish to really, really promote, obviously catch and release because they're pretty dumb that time of year. They're about to spawn when they are their dumbest and they only live in so many drainages. So it, they're definitely one to, to, you know, really protect if we can. So the shoal bass is awesome guys. And then the, um, the next one we'll talk about is the Swanee bass. It's a, a real dark black looking fish down in uh, Swanee river system and a few others. Uh, they're not, not native to the Wakola and Wasissa and the with actually with Lacoochee, I think flows into the Swanee in, in Georgia, but most, mostly they're Florida fish, but they're real dark. They're really pretty like turquoise sometimes. And they're, they're they only get like two, three pounds. I've caught one. that was two twelve was the biggest, but you catch one around two and a half, three pounds. It's, it's a good one, but you can catch them flipping and pitching in matted vegetation, but you can keep, catch them uh, in rivers and with little um, limestone riffles down there, blackwater riffles. The Santa Fe river is a good place to catch them in, uh, you know, central Florida. So cool fish. And uh, let's see, the next one we will talk about would be the Guadalupe bass. It's uh, out in Texas, the hill country. Those are uh, little, mostly little guys like that. Yeah, yeah, which which reminds me, uh, you know, I left Georgia too soon. I should have mentioned the red eye bass, but I'll get to them in a second. But the Guadalupe is pretty much just like a red eye, except for it's out in Texas, very, very far away from the red eyes. Although they're very, very similar in the size and the places they live and how they look in a lot of ways. But um, they're actually the state fish of Texas. A lot of people don't know that Texas has all these fishing opportunities, but state fish is the Guadalupe bass, so it's pretty cool. And then. Uh, which, by the way, they put smallmouth in those rivers there because they, you know, they're cooler. And the, the the DNR did over there, the Texas Parks and Wildlife, way back in the day, thinking let's just throw some smallmouth in because that'll be cool. And now, just so you know, no state agencies put non-native fish in in lakes or rivers anymore. It's only happened happens today because of anglers. That's it. States do not do it anymore. They stopped playing God. They realize how bad of an idea that was. But before they, you know realized that they'd put them in there and they took off and um, they hybridized with the Guadalupe. So then they were about to lose all the pure strain Guadalupe's. And now they've actually done a good job of, of, you know, trying to just flood the system with pure strains, you know, and stockings to kind of like balance you know, that out. Balance that out. So that was pretty good. But the red eyes are back uh, mostly in Georgia, Tennessee, some in South Carolina and Alabama and the reason why it's good to kind of circle back to them, I don't even know what number we're at. I don't know if you're still keeping up. This is uh, seven. Seven. Oh, well, yeah, it's true. We didn't talk about the – no, we did talk about the northern smallmouth. Yep, then we got the Kentuckys, then we had Bamas, then we yep. had the Shoal, Red Eye, Guadalupe. So sure. is that eight? Yeah, it's eight, I think. Yeah. That's eight. So that may be um, that may be actually what it is right now. I don't think I've I don't think I've missed any. So that's it. There's eight, and then um, the red eyes. The reason the reason they're good to end on is because there are so many strains of these things. Because if you think about it, the way you get a different species or a strain, if you look at a map, your river systems they dump into something completely different, so they're separated. So in South Carolina, you've got you know, going from east to west, you've got the Savannah River, which is uh, Hart Lake Hartwell, you know, Lake Jacassi, Kiwi, Hartwell, Clark Hill, all those, um, Strom Thurmond, or I don't know, all those down that, that basically run through Augusta, Georgia, and, and then on the border of Georgia and all the way. So that whole system has got its own separate 
version that looks very much like a shoal bass. And they're the next one that's going to be uh, actually scientifically, whatever, like spread apart. Probably one of the next ones, I would say, it's called the Bartram's bass. For, for those scoring at home, that's the Bartram's bass. And then you move over, and, and then there's a river system that shoal bass were introduced into called the Altamaha River System. And that's the Okmulgee River and the Oconee River. And that one's got the Altamaha bass. And so that's mm-hmm. totally separate. Into the, both of those do flow into the Atlantic Ocean, though. And then, then you move over, and the other side of Florida, you got um, the Apalachicola, which flows into um, the you know the Gulf. But further up in the Apalachicola, you have the the Chattahoochee River above Lake Lanier, you know, world class Alabama spotted bass fishery. There's a separate one called the Chattahoochee bass that looks different. They have really red, bright red you know, markings on their, on the tips of their fins are beautiful. They're like the brook trout. All these red eyes are like the brook trout of the bass family. Then you keep going further West. You've got, um, uh, the, the Coosa strain red eye bass, which actually is the red eye bass. That's why they're not, you know, they're actually officially, that's them. Right. And they live in the upper in Georgia and the headwaters in the Etowah river. But then you keep going, you've got something called the Tallapoosa bass. You've got one called the warrior bass. They're just now discovering, which is the one I've never caught. Um, and, there may be one more I'm not thinking of, but the other species that's about to be actually separated out is called the Choctaw bass, which is down in the panhandle of Florida. And it's only in this coastal plain area, right? And it's in the panhandle of Florida and it looks like a spotted bass for, I mean, it basically looks like a spotted bass, very similar, but there's just this panhandle area that they're in and that's, that's it. And they're, and they're not spotted bass. So anyway, that's kind of the, where you get, you get like the 18 basically from or all those. So, oh, well, sorry, the, the strain of smallmouth bass, I didn't mention the Neosho smallmouth, which I've caught in the uh, Ozarks area, Missouri, and, and the Neosho River system where they get their name, but then also the uh, Wachita smallmouth strain, which is a new one. And there's some differences on those as well. So it's, it's kind of bonkers. And <laughs> I, I don't know how many people or you know, a lot of people I think, have it on their bucket list to catch all of them. Um, and I do occasionally do some guided trips uh, out there for people that want to catch them and uh, try to just, I've done it before. Like, cause I did an article with Bassmaster about this like 10 years ago. You, you can still go back and look it up, but about catching the bass slam. And then I got a lot of calls. So I'll, I'll occasionally um, do a guide trip for someone and you know, Hey, let me go. I want to catch this, this, and this. And they're kind of in Georgia, pretty close. Let's get a route where we can kind of do it, you know, in a rapid you know, two, three days, just kind of boom, 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 and knock out four or five of these species I've never caught. So anyway, but uh, yeah, that's the species guys. I know it's a little bit, it's a lot to take in there. I know you guys have heard y'all talk about it before uh, on the podcast a little bit. And the confusion really is in those, those Alabama spotted bass. And because before think about it, we were calling all spotted bass, spotted bass, but then you would think, well, why do the ones down in down the South get so big? And it has nothing to do with the, amount of food or the climate or the grow- longer growing season. It's just they're different genetically. All right. So now here's a question. Now, if you go out to California and you have those spots, mm-hmm. are those considered Kentucky spots in California or are they their own subspecies spots? No, those are the Coosa strain. They put the Coosa, mm-hmm. you know, the Alabama spotted bass, which when I say that, that's all the Coosa, the Mobile, Mobile Bay, Mobile River yeah. system is really what it is because it. Alabama so River. Find them to California. Yes. So California is, is also for whatever reason, uh, transplanted the red eye bass, which get, you know, this big, um, out there. So 
there's, I mean, smallmouth are in the Columbia River, which they're not supposed to be. They're in so many places they're not supposed to be. At least that's that was a better transplant, you know, like those kind yeah. of smallmouth were put in by the South Carolina DNR and in some rivers in South Carolina, actually in a creek in South Carolina, and they went out to the river and because they never thought um, they would, it's, a, it's the Broad River, but they never thought they, they would, would go. go there because they put it in this little creek called King's King's Creek that flows out of King's Mountain. And they thought, well, it's cool water up here. It'd be a nice little thing for guys to fly fish and create a little bit of a sport fishery. And they just bolted, and this is back in the 80s, like early 80s, they bolted right out of that creek into the main river. And the main river gets, you know, near 100 degrees, you know, like 95 degrees in the summer. And because they never thought they would go there. But smallmouth don't care about hot water. They don't care one bit. All they care about is oxygen and food. Yep. And there's rapids, which create oxygen, and there's plant life, and there's tons of food. So they went and just thrived, and they hit the trophic upsurge back in the day. It was unbelievable. Still good fishery, but um, it, it's it's changed, you know, based on that. The rivers have trophic upsurges too because if you think about it, if a species is really good at hunting and living in a certain environment like smallmouth are in rivers, when they first get in there, dude, yeah, <laughs> the crawfish, helgamites, all the bait fish have never been preyed on by it because only largemouth lived in there before that. That's it. Only largemouth in this river. And they're not as good at surviving in the shoals and the rapids. So, Dude, those brim and all those helgramites and bait fish just had a, you know, they were just living the dream, you know, but man, all, of <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden the smallies came in there and it was like, Whoa. And, and, and now it's Ooh. kind of weird to catch them among, yeah, among uh, Spanish moss and, and palm leaves, palmetto trees every once in a while on the bank. You're like, this is, doesn't seem right. But, uh, yeah. Awesome. It is cool. There's some other cool places that have smallies like the Nottaway river that's flows from Virginia to North Carolina. You can, you can catch them in, uh, you know, on, on cypress trees, like you're in kind of a more like blackwater cypress knees, like you're in Florida. And it's like, this doesn't seem right. I'm catching smallmouth here, but, uh, it, it's crazy. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the species talk and the rant and, uh, we can move on to something else. If you guys have more questions about species, we can keep rolling with it. No, I, I, I'd actually like to backtrack a little bit here. Cause like we asked you how you got into fishing, but I'm curious, you know, uh, obviously, right now you're one of the more prevalent prevalent names in the kayak industry. So when did that whole start? The whole kayaking even start for you? Like when? When did you make that switch? When did you, you know, first get into one and realize, you know, all right, yeah, this is yeah. what I want to do? And obviously, see a gap in the fishing industry for it, which you took advantage of. Sure. So what I did is um, when I first got out of college, I went to college in Cleveland, Tennessee, at Lee University, uh, and that's really close to the Ocoee River, which is a world class whitewater rafting and kayaking river. So yeah. I never even kayaked on it. You know, I've rafted it several times in college just with friends, but a buddy of mine name is Chris Townsend. He was like, dude, you are like perfect for like body style for a whitewater kayaker. I need to get you in a whitewater kayak. And he's like six foot three. He was on the basketball team. And he and I actually met cause we ended up playing club volleyball together and I'm five foot, you know, nine or five foot eight, whatever. I mean, one of the, one of the two, whatever I decided to say. Um, but he was like, dude, you're like perfect size for this. This is like little guys like you thrive at this, you know, sport. So let me get you in, in, uh, in a kayak. Cause you know, you're athletic and it, it'll probably work. You'll do good. So 
we, we learn how to roll the kayak over in the lake. You know, you do that whole thing with the whitewater kayak. And one day, the next day we go and kind of play in the river a little bit, surf some waves. The next day he took me down the entire entire Okoye river, all the class fours and fives. And, you know, I was freaking out, but I never, you know, I had to pull my whitewater skirt and swim and which was cool. And later at the end of that trip, I was kind of freaking out because I accidentally tucked the, the little loop that you're supposed to have out so you can pull it. And it was actually never out where I could pull it. And I was a little bit freaked out when I got to the end. I was like, Oh my goodness. Good thing. I never had to do that. You know, when I flipped over and, um, anyway, so I was just like, Hey, this is cool sport. I like it, but I was about to graduate. So I left and, you know, I got my feet wet at least. And then I went down and was living with my parents, uh, be right before I went to grad school at Georgia state for uh, a master's degree in sports management. So if you can imagine, you go from like this peak amount of social life to back with your parents, you know, like five years of just Soul fun. Crushing. Yeah. What's that? <laughs> Soul crushing. Living the dream right now. So yeah, <laughs> I don't say living the dream. <laughs> He's pursuing I, the dream. Pursuing, the, pursuing dream. the dream and still freaking out about how the heck I'm going to pay off student loans. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, we're still there. I mean, I'm still there. My wife and I are too, right there with you. So anyway, I was like, I got to get out of the house a little bit and uh, let me go wade some of these creeks My dad and rivers my dad and I used to fish. And uh, I just got like kind of hooked on it again. Actually, I spent what, what caused me what really to get hooked on it. I spent that summer before I moved back in with my parents, with my buddy uh, in Harrisburg area on the Susquehanna wading that river there for the whole summer and kind of fell in love with it all, all again. And I had a bass boat in college, like a small 14 foot glass stream fiberglass. If you can believe it or not, they made 14 foot fiberglass bass boats once upon a time. So I had one of those, but that's what got me hooked again. So then I'm wading the creeks in Georgia and the rivers. I'm like, man, I just, I wish I could go further on these creeks. So, you know what I mean? This is so fun, but I wish I could move faster. I wish I could cover more water. And I started Googling about it. And this is back in 2004 and, and I'm Googling um, 2003 or four and I'm Googling river fishing in Georgia and a website called Georgia river comes up. And basically it was just a, a back then there was no Facebook. So it was a lot of forums, only a couple hundred people were on there at the time, but they were already starting to use kayaks. Some people were just like ocean kayak or Malibu kayaks and Cobra kayaks and tarpon one twenties from wilderness system. That's kind of all that was out there. And I, and I don't know, the light bulb just clicked in my head. I was like, of course, a kayak. You know, I never even really realized there was other kinds of kayaks besides the whitewater kayaks that I, that I was in. So it made sense. And I picked one up at a little shop in north of Atlanta called The Outside World and started standing and fishing out of them. And at that point, no one was standing. And again, you know, my being sort of into sports all my life and, and athletic and five foot eight was perfect because I was able to stand where other people couldn't. And obviously you guys know if you're bass fishermen, the advantage that standing can do in terms of your casting techniques, mm -hmm. ability to see the fish in the water, whatever. And then my kayaking ability that I learned came in in order to have good boat positioning. And then I started rigging things on there, like a drag chain with a retractable dog leash, which would drag on the bottom of, of the river to slow me down. So I wouldn't be, eddying out in the spots where the fish are and just rolling right on top of them to slow myself down. But then I'm on top of them. So I started doing things like that and just growing, growing my name and my brand. And I didn't realize I was growing a, a brand to do it for a living. Uh, that was just sort of a God thing, really. I mean, it was just, it just kind of happened over time. Um, I started 
riverbassin.com. Again, it was a website about catching bass and rivers and, and it was a lot of forums and articles, but since, you know, Facebook kind of, the groups kind of took it over. I, I don't really, you know, that site's gone, but, um, I started the river bass and tournament trail because it was about catching bass and rivers. And, um, that's kind of at that point when I started that tournament trail, that's kind of when my, my name was getting out there and I started to grab a couple sponsors and, um, Jackson kayak. And I just, just teamed up, you know, it was just perfect. And they, and they said, um, Hey, we'll let you design a kayak. You know, we believe in, you know, your experience, what you can do. And I designed one and, and they, uh, you know, made it my signature series model. So it was really cool to be able to have my name on the side of a boat. Um, and then, uh, I was just blessed to have the idea to make this little seat, this little camp share seat that sits you low and high and to be comfortable. Why can't we have a normal seat like a bass boat, you know, but you know, dumbed down version, right? Just a real simple aluminum frame with a cover. And why can't we be comfortable? Why are we sitting on the hard plastic of these sit on top kayaks? And they said, yeah, we can do that. And so we, we made a high low seat and we, uh, you know, we're able to take that and bring that to the industry. Now, of course, you don't, you don't see a fishing kayak without a little mm -hmm. high low seat. Right? right. So it was a pretty cool ride, man. And then, uh, I did, did my show hooked on wild waters for five seasons. That was really cool, which by the way, you know, people can go back and watch those episodes. I do one season, I believe season three, it's all on my YouTube channel. If you want to check it out, it's just drew Gregory fishing. Mm -hmm. But season three was about the, the black bass species and where I go and catch a Swanee on an episode, the red eyes, the shoal bass, you know, the Guadalupe, I go all over the country to catch them. So you guys can kind of see what they look like. And I bring on a, a, a person that knows a lot about that species as a sort of a side story in every episode. So if you want to go check it out, it's pretty cool. That's cool. But, um, and then I eventually, uh, you know, COVID COVID hit this past year and, you know, business and things changed at Jackson and it was time to move on. And I started working with Crescent and designing, as you can see here, maybe I can pull it up here, the Crescent yeah. Crescent kayaks logo there. And I'm now uh, designing the fishing kayaks for them and have just a ton of freedom. And just, it's a really cool vibe at that company laid back and they just love all paddle sports, fishing, everything about it, make things in the USA hundred percent and make things affordable too. you know, products that are affordable as well. So you know, that's kind of where, kind of how the, the the story, Bailey, of how it kind of all went there. But it's crazy. You know, I was working as a director of campus recreation at a couple different universities before I made the jump, uh, you know, full time over to Jackson. It was just grinding like everybody out there. And, and just it's that whole what's that phrase, you know, um, preparation meets opportunity or whatever. It's like right. I can't. Yeah, it's, it's not I like luck yeah. is it's not luck. It's preparation opportunity sort of thing. So um super blessed uh, to kind of take advantage of all that. And since then, of course, I've, I've stopped doing my show. I'm now with Crescent and lots of other uh, awesome sponsors that I've just kind of met along the way and, and I've just had good relationships with them. But uh, what I do now is tournaments because I didn't do tournaments before and I didn't get my name in the industry from doing tournaments because there were no tournaments that were big enough for it to matter for me to do. And I don't mean like nothing was wrong with, my tournament trail, right? I was running or kayak bass fishing in the early days or the local clubs that were out there. It's just that I, I was doing the YouTube, just doing different things. And, uh, they weren't, the payouts weren't big enough. The media exposure wasn't big enough. And my sponsors and what I was doing, you know, that hooked on wild water show was a little bit more valuable. So then, uh, yak attack, uh, one of my sponsors 
said, Hey Drew, you should probably focus on these big tournaments now that they're, they're getting bigger because every time you go fish one, um, for a few years there, all I would fish was one, the kayak bass fishing national championship. And the first time the way I got into it, because you, you got to qualify to fish that event, even though it's a lot of people are in the event and we've had as many as 750. So it's not like super hard to qualify, but I didn't fish anything. But one year they had to open uh, the national championship and open. So I got like 16th in the open, I think. And that qualified me for the following year's national championship automatically. So then I fished the championship and I got like eighth and then the championship and got like fifth. And then they were like, dude, every time you fish out of like 600, 700 people, you're getting like 16th, eighth, fifth. You should probably focus on that now that there are more trails like the Hobie Bass Open Series and kite bass fishing has grown, right? right? Now we have bass, you know, Bassmaster doing their Bass Nation kayak series. So I was like, all right, that sounds awesome to me because production is hard. Like being on the water doing a show is, is hard. And the, you know, you're always worried about lighting and this and that, and where can your camera crew get you that, you know, you are, but they're in a jet boat or they're in a different kind of boat. And it's just difficult. It's just not as much fun as just freely just going out there and just, you know, just fishing. And so I was excited about it. Plus I could win money. It was like, Oh, this is perfect. And uh, last year was really the, um, the main, the, the first year I kind of really did that, even though COVID separated our, our year. And I was just fortunate to have a great year and, and win the Hobie BOS AOI and, and uh, place ninth again in the kayak bass fishing national championship, which was really cool. Cause that's probably right. something I'm proud of just cause it was my fourth top 10 in a row. And, um, and when you have fields, the average size of 550 anglers in the, in the last four get that, average. to get, yeah, to get up yeah, with the, an eighth place, I think is my average. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. I can't even believe it, man. So, um, but yeah, it's exciting. I love tournaments now. I'm, I'm obsessed with it. Um, my wife will probably tell you it's, it's like, I used to be, you know, I get super locked in on something. I used to be super obsessed with golf as my sort of side, side hobby away from fishing and now that tournaments are here and I've got a, a, you know, a competitive nature, not in any, you know, ill will sort of way towards the guys I fish with because right. we're all friends and you can't play defense, but it's just like with the fish, I'm competitive in myself. So uh, now I've just kind of leaned into it hard, which is why I became a huge fan of your podcast and all the podcasts that are out there that I just want to learn and, you know, never stop learning. And uh, that's, it's kind of the, the long version there, man. It'll never be a short version with me, as you can tell. Oh, yeah. you're <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're a uh, you're a favorite amongst uh, podcast hosts because Andrew and I we can we can ask you a question and we can go all right let's listen now we can just kind of kick back and let you know what was yours type of deal but no it's uh it's cool because obviously you know you, you talked about kayak fishing and how you got the start and your start is like literally the start of kayak bass fishing like you know when everything really came to fruition was when you were kind of getting your start in the game so like you were kind of you've literally seen the the sport of kayak bass fishing on a competitive level grow to where it is now and now you you know you've accomplished probably one of the biggest titles if not the biggest title in kayak bass fishing which is the hobie bos aoi which is the hardest and like i, I think this is personal opinion so no offense to anybody else who, right. who believes otherwise and i'm up for i'm totally up for debate too like i love debate as long as it's like civil debate but you get me but either way it's like it's the epitome of kayak bass fishing it's because you know way higher entry fees, higher entry fees automatically either, you know, obviously you have an outlier with people with money that have time on their hands, but for the most part, bigger entry fees, 
produce more talented, more skilled, more dedicated anglers, which right. means higher competition, higher stakes, which means it's a lot more challenging, especially when, you know, you have your tournament of champions, their, their quote unquote, you know, their championship, which is only yep. 50 people. So to go to compete, you know, two, 300 people per event to try to qualify, to make that top 50. And then to not on top of that, make, you know, be the best out of everyone who's competed out of those for those qualifications. Yeah. It's extremely challenging. It's, it's what you said where, you know, you go and you sign up for one event and you're automatically qualified for the national championship. It's, it's a complete different level. Right. I I think Kobe is the, I mean, and that's no offense to kayak bass fishing. You know, I'm friends with all of the trails. I'm going to fish all of them, you know, Chad, Chad Hoover at kayak bass fishing. I mean, no matter what anyone you know, has to say the guy has worked his tail off and, has, and really started and coined that phrase and started this, this whole movement. And he'll always have that, you know, and, and there's a room and there's a lot of room out there for a Hobie, which is definitely different because it's, for those of you who don't know, that's paddle power only kayak mm-hmm. bass fishing allows electric motors. So, and I like the fact that it's, you know, not paddle, it's, it's human power only, I should say, cause you can pedal or obviously Hobie's pedal. It's human power only paddle or pedal. Um, and then BASS jump, just jumped yeah. into the game, and they've, they're also allowing motors. But I think that the Hobie is the, a little bit more um, elite because, you know, kayak bass fishing, it's, it's a great way to get involved and start because they have online challenge series, which is awesome. They've got state monthly challenges, all kinds of cool stuff like that. But then their, their tournaments, their trail series, is, is sort of uh, synonymous with the Hobie BOS, right? But their trail series, what they've done, and this is again really good for I think guys just getting into it. It's their tournaments are Saturday and Sunday, just like the Hobie Bass Open. But Hobie Bass Open series is one tournament, Saturday and Sunday. It's a two day. Right. Like bass fishing is they're each one separate tournament. So hundred bucks. You could so if your schedule doesn't work out, you can't fish both days. It doesn't, you know, like you couldn't go fish a Hobie mm-hmm. because of that, whether you got a your kid's birthday party or whatever, but you, you can do that with the, with the KBF. Yeah. And so that's kind of nice. And then, um, and then, you know, BASS is, is only one day, even though it's similar entry fee as Hobie BOS, it's only one day. And as you guys know, as anglers, ah, you know, the cream really just rises to the, to the top guys. When you have two days and three days and four days, that's when you really see, and that's, you know, the kayak bass fishing national championship is three days. So that's where, you know, whether I begin after the first day, I'm in 50th place and move to 23rd and then move to, you know, seventh, by the end of the thing, you can see how it really helps the better anglers. Like how many times does the leader on the first day of any Bassmaster Open or Elite Series or MLF event, I mean, how many times do they win? How many times? Not that many. Or a golf tournament, for example, the first round leader is not really, but the same names, the consistent same names will be near the top by the end of the fourth round in a golf tournament or fishing Mm -hmm. tournaments most often. And it really is. So that's why I think Hobie, you know, really is attracting a little bit more of those elite uh, level angers. I, I think so. I think it, I'm not just saying that because I obviously won that AOI and like, Oh, look at me. I won the most elite level of kite fishing. I, I mean, I agree. I'm just backing it up with some facts there. Um, right. But I, I, cause I'm still just stunned and humbled that I, I mean, that I even won because I only fished the minimum amount, you know, I, I because COVID hit and I had to move my family up to, you know, switch careers with Jackson and Crescent and, and COVID, whatever, it just kind of everything lined up where we needed to move to be closer to my in-laws. And I've got a, a little two and a half year old Theo, my wife and I do. So it was just nice to be closer to them. We didn't have any help. 
And so I, I, I can't even believe it happened because I fished the last three you could possibly fish and you need to fish three regular season events. And this is how all the AOIs work in kayak fishing. Um, BASS doesn't have an AOI, but Hobie and KBF do. Your best three finishes are what count towards your AOI standings. No matter if you fish eight events, three events, 10 events, and then you add that to your ch the championship. Each of their championships have AOI points. So basically it's your, it's going to be four events to determine the AOI. So for me to jump in and fish the Susquehanna River, get fourth, beat Mike Iconelli, which I was probably more excited about than getting fourth. <laughs> beat, and so I got fourth there, get first at Lake Dardanelle by tiebreaker. It was crazy over uh, Eric Siddiqui, another just really good angler. And then yeah. get fourth again on the Kusa chain, the last one. And then get seventh uh, at the at the TOC, like you said. It it was just it's like a dream come true, man. I couldn't believe it, you know. So um, I'm looking forward to trying to back it up this year. It's going to be hard, and we've got a lot of good anglers and uh, more people getting into it, more serious about it. And, and honestly, I think that my experience traveling the country and already fishing in these all these different locations and catching all these species is really one of the things that helped me out because I can go to Dardanelle and win. I can go to the Susquehanna, you know. Again. None of these, well, the Coosa River was in the, in the South, but I grew up in the South and none of the, you know, the, the tournaments, the main ones there, I'd never fished the Coosa, uh, Neely, Henry and Weiss, the two bodies of water that the Coosa chain tournament was on at period. So, but because I had experience, you know, traveling all over the country, catching different species, I really feel like that, that helped me out. You know what I mean? Kind of understanding them. Mm -hmm. And especially since the kayak can get into some of the more remote places, right. Um, that some of these fish live. Yeah. And it just sort of helped out. So, yeah. So that, you know, moving forward then, obviously having probably one of your, if not the best year you've had, you know, on a competitive standpoint on the kayak side, you know, moving to 2021, seeing the schedule as well. I mean, what are your goals for 2021? And then, you know, what are you planning on fishing all events? Are you doing three again? You know, mm -hmm. what's the plan for you? Oh, gosh, no. I mean, and I fished probably 12 events last year total. But um, on the Hobie series, I did just fish the three and then the, the right. tournament champions of four. I'm going to, I'm going to probably fish about, I mean, it was all due to COVID and, you know, moving, selling your house and moving up here. Why I didn't fish anymore, but I'll do. So here's my, here's my logic. Okay. I've got a schedule I've laid out and I actually shared it on and some of the, the big groups out there for kayak fishing. Uh, I have all the tournaments listed for bass, KBF and Hobie, all of them. And then what I do is I sort of look and see, you know, I have a whole spreadsheet with the expenses, the, the mileage I have to go, right, and how much that's going to be in gas, lodging, everything. Actually, that's what I, I showed to my sponsors. Uh, if anybody wants something like that, I can send it to you um, for this year, for the 2021 season, that spreadsheet. A lot of people have been asking for me to email it. That's fine. I can email it. But what I do then on this Excel is I put all that in there, and you get a total of like $15,000 or whatever it is, fifteen or twenty. Then you can go to your sponsors and show them, I'm spending all this for you guys to really, you know, be out there and, and promote your, your stuff and, and work hard, you know, and hustle for you guys, you know? Yeah. And so they can see that and it helps them justify, you know, whether it's free product or whatever, because I do feel a burden of a little bit of a burden on my shoulders, but not just for what I've done in the industry already, but now having the AOI and how many people want to do this, I feel like I've got to be, the best spokesman, the best example for kayak fishing to prove we have cool setups in our kayaks. Every one of us are unique. We fish cool places. We have personalities. We can speak in, in front of audiences, public, because I think if I can also go to sponsors and not just get, 
you know, obviously not a discount and obviously not even free product, but get cash, which I'm fortunate to, to get cash from a lot of sponsors. But those of you guys out there who are hoping to do this kayak thing more full time, like if I settled for a discount, let's say, or a free product and I'm the AOI, then they're always going to be able to say, well, why should we give you somebody else? If the AOI for at the highest level of kayak fishing is, is just, we're giving him free product and he's cool with it. So I'm trying to progress the sport in that way. And um, I'm eventually going to get to those, those tournaments I'm fishing, but um, that's just sort of something that I really feel like a, a, a little bit of a, a weight I carry on my shoulders because I'm trying to grow this for all of us out there. And, you know, any sponsorships anyone else get, whether it's Christine Fisher or whoever, some of the bigger names, Jody Queen, Russ Snyders, whoever, uh, Chad Hoover, anybody in the industry, it's awesome for, for us and what we're doing because it just brings it more into the mainstream. And if someone gets a truck sponsorship, well, there's four or five other truck brands out there who, you know, can can start to realize, oh my goodness, there's value. There is value in this. We need to get into this before we're left in the dust. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so what I'm doing, uh, why it ties into the schedule is I, I really hope to fish enough events to qualify, you know, to be possibly winning the AOI at the championship, to be within striking distance, right? Whether I'm in fifth place or 10th place or whatever it is, come to championships. So obviously I look at, you know, the different tournaments and places that I feel like would be my strong suit. And I'm really excited about fishing probably five or six Hobie Bass Open Series for the KBF weekends, which means eight total, right? Because they're separate. We just talked about that. So that's eight. And again, you're just, they just take your best three. So if I can fish five or six Hobies, that gives me, you know, basically double than I did last year. And then if I can get to four of the KBFs, that's eight, four or five there. So that's eight to 10. And then I'm going to try to do a couple of the two, two or three of the BASS events as well. So, you know, we're looking at 14, 15 events if you count the championship events. So that's kind of like as many as you can fish because my logic is I don't want to go fish anywhere at this high level without giving myself at least two and a half days of pre-fishing time. Otherwise your, your odds go start to go a little bit down because mm -hmm. some people sit there for a week and really learn the waters really well. And you're going to roll up with a day and think you're going to, going to win. I mean, probably not, you know, unless you've got some serious good history there probably not going to win it. So I just want to do it right rather than fish 20 something events. Uh, and I, I just look at what the elite series guys do and the major league fishing guys, they actually fish about, I think elite series is 10 events, right? So then they, a lot of those guys will fish three of the opens on top of it, right. Or, or the Toyota series. So that gives them about 13 events that 13, 14, because I'm committing a week of my life to an event. Usually when travel, right. And the, the two days of the event, and if you also count, sometimes it's a week to 10 days. If you count packing up for the event and the unloading for the event, it's almost a day at home. So, dude, I mean, that's a lot of time away from home mm -hmm. already. And, you know, if you're a family guy out there trying to do this as well, it's kind of just a big commitment, you know, to try to do more than that many events. So I'd rather mm -hmm. do them right. So, yeah, that's how many I'm doing, and I'm excited. I'm looking forward to Champlain. Uh, that's my one I'm most looking forward to. That in Lacrosse, Wisconsin. And I'm trying to think, uh, obviously the, the Bassmaster has the, the, I'm calling it the Bass Kayak Classic, but they call it the Bass yeah. uh, Nation Kayak Cl Championship uh, that we all had to qualify for. And I qualified at Logan Martin, their very first event they put on in conjunction with the Classic last year. And now it's at Lake Louisville this year. So that would be a dream come true because that's in Fort Worth where I was born. And it's, you know, it's just, it'd be amazing to 
be the, the one that holds up that very first trophy on that Bassmaster Classic stage. And right. I honestly argue, guys, that that will have more historical significance 20, 30 years from now than whoever holds up the Classic trophy this year and wins all that money. It's going to have, obviously, more money to it, you know, $300,000 plus all the endorsements and bonus money. Quick but question. Anyway, yeah. So with the Classic moving, did they move the kayak tournament mm -hmm. to that? They did, which has caused a big, yeah. a lot of stink, Andrew. That's a good, a lot of stink in the kite community. But the reason why it's causing stink is because Louisville is not known to be the greatest fishery to begin with. <laughs> the um, worst. <laughs> yeah, it looks it's kind of the worst and one of the worst in Texas. But and I'm and I'm telling you why right now. Trophic upsurge. It's been there a long time. It's gotten silted in. There are no that part of Texas. You don't have like really any rocks. Like nothing. It there's. You know, it's just there's some flooded areas of timber and trees, but they're all decayed. And it's just you can tell it's just not healthy. Yeah, it's not as healthy. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, and then Ray Roberts with the Bassmaster guys are going to be that the, the lake above us. Well, guess what? It's a little bit further in elevation higher. It's got they've, they've stocked smallmouth in there. So I was just talking to Hank Cherry. I just did a commercial with uh, a few of my friends that are uh, elite series guys. Um, Matt Airy. Uh, Hank Cherry, um, Brian Thrift, Thrift, who's on the yeah, MLF BPT tour, and uh, Fat Cat Newton was there. It was cool. Shane Lineberger. I mean, a lot of, a lot of guys that you guys probably know. And, I mean, that's that's what Hank – I didn't even realize that until Hank told me that. He said, there's smallmouth and Ray Roberts. I was like, you lucky dog, man. Like, you're going to be able to go possibly target smallmouth on riprap or wherever, you know, in, in the summer there in June. Or I guess it's late spring. And we're going to struggle bus it with just largemouth only. So if there was another species, this is a good example. If they had an open water forage and they put Alabama spotted bass in Louisville, it would change it completely. It'd be much better fishery. Hmm. But um, and the smallmouth just won't make it there. From it doesn't look like it. That's probably the reason why they didn't put them there. But it did get moved, and people are in an uproar, Andrew, because it's in the summer now. So is it a poor fishery to begin with? Yes. Is it in the summer now? spring summer warm enough right where pleasure boaters and wakeboards jet skis they're going to be all over that lake because it's the closest lake to the dallas fort worth area one of the closest so and it's super crowded and just dangerous uh, from what everyone's saying so i don't mind it honestly because like i said i i play golf i'm a fan of it i love it when the u.s open is tough the masters the british open mm -hmm. the greens are firm you know the wind is howling and the rough is six eight inches deep and the pros struggle like we're all playing in the same conditions. Someone still has to win. And half these guys are already out of it. They're already yeah. out of it mentally. They're done. They're already done. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm never going to be able to catch a fish out there. And I'm like, good. You know, let's let's grind out, you know, 80 inches, 80 inches uh, a day for a couple of days, 80 something, low 80s, and see if we can't, you know, win it, you know, in a grinder. So, yeah. And I'm, I'll say, I'll, I don't mean to cut, cut you off, but like, I was one of those people. I double qualified. I won our state here in New York, and then I qualified at Lake Chickamauga. And dude, when I heard it, I heard like leaving my buddy called me that I was staying with at Chickamauga. He called me and he goes, uh, cause my buddy's at call got top 10 at mm -hmm. Chick. He called me and he said, Oh dude, we've had the captain's meeting and I'm heading back to our house that we stayed at. And, uh, he's like, Oh, they announced the national championship. And I was like, Oh, it's sweet. Like, where's it going to be? And they're like Louisville. And I like let off the gas, like sunk back in the chair. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like of all lakes there, that's what they choose to pick. And I, that was what, that was one of those people where I was like, I don't even know if I want to go because of being Louisville. 
Uh, and, you know, due to being changed now, I actually have a, a conflict, so I kind of feel better, but I also look back on it now. It's like I was kind of being a, a, a dingus, you know, saying, you know, just because it's going to be tough, you know, I didn't want to go. But also just for me, it's like I don't want to waste a whole day of driving for an event that I don't even know what's going to happen yet. Yeah. I think, I think you know, planning could have been better, but it, it was an interesting you know yeah it could have been better but i think covid you know i kind of give bass a little bit of a pass because they were you know what's different about bass and kbf and hobie they're running the elite series the opens the team trail the high school the college you know all the the series there's probably one other one um that i'm missing and then the the kayak which is the newest one so we're sort of the last one on the, on the totem pole in terms of things. And they were finishing running tournaments all the way into December. So they, the time normally they're, they'd be working on scheduling and schedules. They were still running all these tournaments to catch up. And it, it certainly, certainly delayed our schedule being announced. And I, I get it. You know, they're going to get back on track. So um, as a matter of fact, I already know they have half the schedule for next year already done. So that is good, which, you know, I don't know if it's a topic you guys want to get into, but the biggest uh, issue I see actually is in coming up soon. This is probably the tournament t- trail director in me as well. And, and just the sports management, you know, guy, yeah. the biggest issue I see is uh, how BA, like how bass boats and kayaks are going to, you know, work in unity in our sport and grow in unity, not, not dislike each other the same way that mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of a good example, maybe the way that fly fishermen and conventional guys sort of, have a little bit of a riff. Like we don't really like see eye to eye, like fly fishermen feel like, Oh, we're these purists sometimes, not all of them, obviously, but feel that way. And then, and, but our worlds overlap a little bit, but it's going to be overlap even more kayak and bass boats. And I get your um, point. Yeah. It's it's an issue, a a pretty big issue. I think. And um, I might actually be writing an article for a big publication. I can't really talk about which one about this because to me, it all goes back to, we just have to keep the kayak tournaments on water, like on waters where the kayaks excel. And I'm not saying we can't ever go to a, a Gunnersville like we do, or the Chickamaugas or the Lake Forks of the world, or the St. Clairs. Absolutely. We can, but there's so much pressure on these big lakes that all these major bass tours go to local pressure and local tournaments and the upper level elite, you know, Pickwicks and all these lakes, like the kayak excels in, you know, any kind of any water, it can go offshore, but it can, obviously it's really known for, and the reason why most people got it is to go skinny, right? You didn't get it to go offshore on, on Erie, right? Or St. Clair or Hartwell. That's not why you bought a kayak. I mean, you know, you probably should have got a boat if you're trying to catch more fish and do it easier. You got one probably to go skinny. So as long as we keep our rules and our boundaries, you know, we, I like to say we keep the kayak and kayak fishing, right? In these tournaments, keep them where we can go into those places then we'll at least have some of the pressure dispersed. And then I even would take it a step further because I did run tournaments and there are 130, at least 130 lakes of seven or 8,000 acres or more, which is all you need for a kayak tournament. Elite series can't go to a seven, eight, 10, 20,000 acre lake. They pretty much need a hundred thousand acres. I mean, it won't, it won't hold them. Same with major league. Fi- well, major league fishing is a little bit different because of the way they do it, but they still need a big, big body of water other than maybe like the final round, they switch to a different lake, which is pretty cool. But I promise you guys, there are tourism departments and 
uh, chambers of commerce who are like begging and dying and they wish they had a big lake and they're a huge reservoir and these bass boat tournament trails would come to them, but they don't. But guess what? We can go there and they're dying to give the cash away and it highlights new water for us. It keeps us off those other, not that there wouldn't be still boat tournaments on these lakes, but it, you know, it's just sort of like we stay in our lane a little bit and we can still hit those other big lakes. It's not no problem with that. Right. Because you have to go where the, some funding is obviously, but there's funding in so many places and a seven or 8,000 acre lake, especially once you include the rivers and creeks is a lot more than seven or 8,000 acres. Right. Cause that's even more water for us that the boats can't get to. Mm -hmm. So um, if we stay in our lane a little bit and we keep doing that, we're going to, we're going to get, to have tournaments on new bodies of water, which is the most exciting thing for a tournament angler. All my friends who are uh, pros on those elite series or uh, MLF or wherever, they all say the same thing. I'm so tired of going back to fill in the blank. I'm so tired of this. I really wish like they get pumped when, when you hear them. And I'm sure you guys have interviewed uh, and I know you have interviewed a lot of them. A lot of them will say when you ask them, what event are you most excited about? They'll say so-and-so place because it's new. I've never been there. And they get to, that joy of figuring out that puzzle for the first time, which is what's so fun. So if you right. think about it, if we just keep doing that, we have so many more lakes to choose from than they do because they just need bigger infrastructure, bigger money from the tourism to make it happen. We, it gives us so much more opportunity to keep up this influx of constant new venues. And you can of course have a rotation, but new venues, new cool stuff that the bass boats could never go to. And when I was floating out of a Creek on Lake Dardanelle, I ran into uh, a tournament angler there fishing, pre-fishing for the Toyota series event. I talked to him for a little while and really good angler. I could tell he knew what he was doing and, and he probably didn't think much of me because I'm sitting there with three rods and a, a paddle and flip flops. And you know, my Crescent ultralight, it was 49 pound little Creek, 10 foot boat. And he probably didn't think much, much about me, but then we got to talking and, and, uh, you know, we, we talked about this topic for a little bit because he said, why in the world are there so many kayaks all over Dardanelle today? I said, well, we got this big Hobie tournament coming on there. And he, he was a little bit frustrated by it. And I got it, uh, especially when I told him, you know, there were some boundaries that, you know, upstream and we couldn't quite go um, maybe as far as the kayaks obviously could could go. Uh, and that's fine. I mean, no big deal. It's, there's a lot of backwaters in Dardanelle that um, the boats couldn't get to that we could as well. So it was certainly a, an awesome venue to be at. I can't wait to go back there. Mm -hmm. uh, he was frustrated. I said, Hey man, uh, you know, what's your, uh, what's your name? I'll pull for you uh, on the, you know, the next weekend when you're, when you're here fishing the Toyota series, he said, uh, Fred Rumbanis. I said, Oh <laughs> dude, it's like, all you had to do is be throwing a frog or being your normally wrapped boat. And I could have recognized you, but, and he laughed. And, and then we of course, you know, talked about how we had some mutual friends and, uh, he, he, we swapped numbers and I texted him, showed him some fish of mine that I caught and, and told him I won. And he was like super pumped up and, just a real nice guy. But his, the main thing we were talking about was I think if we, we kind of stay in our own lanes a little bit and our lanes will certainly merge and swerve and that's cool. Um, that's the beauty of the kayak. It can go offshore. If that's where the bite is, if, if that's where a tournament's going to get one, then you're going to see me there, you know, spot lock right there. Well, it's not my first choice. Anyone who knows me knows I like to fish skinny water and backwaters. That's kind of why my show's uh, podcast is, is called hooked on wild waters. And my, my show I did, but uh, you get the point. Like a lot of guys are great offshore and panoptics is just going to change that even more so on the kayak world. So that's my thing. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that topic and how we can stay to where we're like, we're rising all ships, you know, rising tide raises all ships together and not have sort of a hatred towards each other and a frustration at each other uh, that I see starting to kind of like rumble 
a little bit out there. Um, got any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, you know, sorry, Andrew, I know you're about to speak. I cut you off right there. You're fine. Uh, <laughs> but I think, and I compare this to, you know, there's, there's the whole MLF versus bass discussion, right? And what I look at it as is I look at bass and I, I, I look at bass and I see the guys that, you know, the guys that go out swinging for five big bites, right? Those are the guys that usually excel in bass because they're the ones that are typically, typically looking for less bites um, in, in some cases, less bites and bigger fish. Whereas in MLF, you know, there's guys that can go out and can typically find more quantity of fish, you know, whether size is in discussion or not. And there's these two avenues that, that these two different types of anglers can excel in. And now you have these two leagues where you, you can fit your certain style of fishing. Whereas there's a guy, you know, there's might be a guy that is might, might excel in MLF, but because of his style of fishing, he might not be the greatest in bass, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. But now you can have guys that want to do something a little bit different, don't want to spend $80,000 on a boat plus gas plus tow expenses, whatever have you, trailer, all that jazz, different insurances, especially for, I mean, insurance is probably a lot of money. Andrew, you, you're the only one with a boat here that could tell us insurance on a bass boat. Uh, but it's, now you have this trail where you have guys that can, you know, maximum kayak, and Drew, correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, maximum for just the boat itself is around 5,000, maybe 5,500 now. That's right. Depending on what you're going to get. So yeah. I can see guys out there with $10,000 rigs, I'm sure, mm-hmm. especially when you get like panoptics included in that, that sort of deal. But for the most part, you can get guys that, you know, you know, three grand and below can go compete on the national level, make a crap ton of money and still be able to do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. You, they don't have to go out and spend a buttload of money. So now you have these two avenues where, you know, you can go kayak, you know, you can go boat. You can have somebody like myself where I can't afford a truck. I can't afford a boat yet. I can slap my kayak on top of the roof of my car and travel across the country and go compete at a tournament. Yeah. So that's why I think there's two different avenues now. And I don't under, like I've, I've heard both sides of it. I love kayaks. I love boats. I want a boat. I have the kayak. I'm never going to leave the kayak, but I, I hear both sides of it where people are like, you know, it doesn't count because you caught it from a kayak or there's kayakers saying, you know, just talking about boat fishing is like cheating. And I'm right. just, I don't understand either arguments because you're both catching fish. So yeah, who the heck cares? Yeah, we love fish. That's our common bond. You know what I mean? Love bass fishing yeah. for sure. I mean, uh, and every, every rod and reel and all the products that uh, that we buy as kayak anglers, it's all this exact same products, right, that the bass boat mm-hmm. tournament guys use, which means we're contributing money into this, this circle of the bass fishing world, which means that's going back to them in sponsorships because the kayak anglers certainly don't have very much of that money, the actual cash from the marketing budgets, very little compared to the big bass boat guys. So in theory, we should all get along and, and should be supporting one another, which is why it's cool that in your podcast, you have guys from the kayak side and the boat side because mm-hmm. we all love to catch bass and that's what unifies us. We should be on the same team and, and growing this thing, which, which is kind of what we're doing here. And, and just so you know, by the way, uh, Bailey and Andrew, I know you want to get in here on this probably, but I will say that you guys listening, if you want to get into this, I mean, Crescent kayaks, for example, the boat I won, I fished two of the two of the four events in the Hobie in a 699 Crescent Ultralight 10 foot kayak with three rods, no electronics, 
one little Plano tackle box because in pre-fishing, I kind of figured them out and got them kind of dialed in. I bring both kayaks. I don't know if I'm going to fish main water or, or super, super shallow and skinny water plus have to move because we can crank up our outboards, which is the Toyota Tacoma. We can crank it up. We can move locations and relaunch, you know, so my, my truck's the, the outboard, but $6.99 made in the USA. You could go cheaper to Walmart somewhere and, you know, Dick's or Academy and find something for $2.99 or $3.99, but you don't need a lot of money to get started in this sport. That's the beauty of it because I feel like today in the bigger bass boat scene, bigger clubs, you're probably not going to win without some level of high level of electronics and probably soon panoptics. When you get into those bigger money tournaments, you're, you know, and mega uh, imaging and stuff like that, you're just probably not going to win when those guys get dialed in on it, like forget it. But we allow people the, a nice little low barrier of entry. And here's what's crazy. I didn't follow podcasts like yours or listen to, you know, Luke Duncan or listen to Bass Talk Live or even Ike. Uh, I didn't really listen to any of that stuff until I got into the tournament scene. In other words, there's guys just like me out there, tons of the kayak fishing world who didn't either until they got into the tournaments with kayak fishing. And now they're watching live bass fishing on every one of the major platforms. When there's live bass fishing tournaments on, I'm watching to learn something, right? So we're actually contributing in clicks and downloads and, and views and impressions to the bass boat world. So there's definitely a huge positive influx of what we're bringing to the bass fishing world. And I hope that the bass boat guys see that and don't see us as a negative. Like we're just like little mosquitoes that are always in their way out there on the water. And I feel like the tournament trails have a duty to kind of like, Hey, we can go get like, we just hear these names because the bass, the big bass boat tours go to these lakes. We hear these lakes and we just have this sort of like, you know, this, I don't know what the word is. Like, we just think they're just the greatest lakes in the, in the world. And they, some of them are for sure, but they're lakes just like that, that no one knows about because they aren't getting marketed and promoted mm -hmm. because there's not a big tournament there that's broadcast mainstream. So mm -hmm. if we can do that, but Andrew, uh, I know you want to jump in too, man. Oh man, I, I totally lost my train of thought, honestly. But uh, no, I actually think having the kayak around is not a bad thing because you guys can showcase all of these smaller waters that typically aren't tournament waters. And it's actually a positive for the kayak angler because a lot of those smaller lakes tend to have better quality average size fish, yeah. I find, mm -hmm. which is really cool. You get to exploit an, an entirely untapped realm of bass fishing that a lot of tournament anglers can't see. I mean, the only issue I had was um, I was fishing a bass tournament at the same time as a kayak tournament was going on. Bailey was there. And um, I actually came across a guy and another kayaker was yelling at a kayaker for fishing with live bait because <laughs> they didn't read the rules that they couldn't use the live wow. bait. And yeah, it was it was just fun. He goes, "What do you mean? It's a fishing tournament." He's like, "I can't use live bait." He's like, "It's in the rules." <laughs> Dude, that's crazy, man. This guy was fishing with a, a minnow and a red and white bobber over this wreck type deal. It was it was comical. He's like, "You in the tournament?" He's like, "Yeah." He goes, "You can't use live bait." <laughs> that is comical, man. I can't believe that. Yeah, that with that low entry fee, you do tend to find some. Yeah, interesting characters with the ease, but like I feel like, I, I mean, I, I think it's funny, but also at the same point in time, like, I feel like that's just on the person for not realizing. Yeah. But like, I think there is an advantage to to kayak fishing because it, you know, with a, with a boat, you know, if you if you show up to an area, you're not catching fish right away. 
you have that ease of firing up and, and moving a couple yeah. miles. Where Andrew, I've talked to you about one of my biggest frustrations being in a kayak where I want to get the boat is because I'll go to an area and I've gotten to that point where I have, I, I believe at least that I've gotten enough knowledge. So I know where things are turned off, but I know where that's, you know, with conditions that be turned on, but you know, it's four miles away and I want to fire up and get there in 10 minutes, not an hour. So like there's, there's pros and, and cons yeah. of it, but with that kayak, I mean, at least starting out as an angler, it forces you to, to stick around in a certain area. You know, mm-hmm. radius, and it forces you to actually figure those fish out. You know, when when it, the bite isn't hot, it forces you to slow down and take your time. Like, even if you try to speed up, you're like the, the a fast version in a kayak of fishing is like a slow version being in a boat and on a trolling motor. It's, yeah, it, your prep it, is it different. Pros and cons, but yeah, your, uh, your tournament prep's way different. What you just said is kind of what Mike Iconelli said to me after Susquehanna. We talked in the parking lot, and he was like, "Hey." He was ticked off. I love it because he's such a fish head and he is so competitive. Mm-hmm. He was ticked off in himself that he he finished in the money. Uh, he was the first in the money at 12th place. But I think there was 120 something people in the tournament, but he was mm-hmm. ticked off because he was like, I got to figure this out, man. Your prep, your pre-fishing is different. Your prep, your prep is different. Everything's different. Like you, like you just said, Fighting and, the hook. yeah, you can't, it's all different. You can't just, like you said, crank up an outboard and move to another location uh, the best you could do is like what I said, you could, you could take out, crank up the Tacoma and drive somewhere, but you, you can only do that maybe uh, one time during a tournament, it's two locations right. or three, three at the most, but, um, you know, probably three, you can do it three, I guess, if they're close enough, but you're going to waste, depends on how far mm-hmm. it is, but 20, oh, 30, waste, yeah, I was going to say 45 minutes, minutes getting the boat put on yeah. the truck and then getting in right. there, driving, unloading it, especially if you switch kayaks through the day, then you got to move mm-hmm. on your gear around. Like, that's that's a lot. There's an art to it for sure. That's why that little 10-foot ultralight, um, I can't quite do that in the crescent light tackle as easy, but still, the light tackle is 12-foot, and uh, the ultralight's 10. But you can you can kind of have stuff on the kayak, strap it down, and keep it, just chunk it in the back of the truck. I've got a whole system that's fast. Crank up and roll and then dump it right back in the water and be, you know, be moving. But uh, it, the prep's just different. You know, when I pre-fish, I try to go, uh, like most people who bass fish, any whether you're a kayak or a boater, you probably have a Google map or something you've made, you know, um, to have little waypoints and pens, you know, that you want to check out when you're pre-fishing. I've got that. So then I, I go uh, and I actually narrow it down to after all my research, right, whether it's YouTube or google or or whatever more just satellite just imagery i narrow it down to if i have two and a half days i want to hit about six to eight spots most guys i feel like they they put in if they pre-fish two days they put in and they fish from that same access point like all day long until they get a bite or they try to catch fish even if they catch fish they just keep catching fish Mm -hmm. once you know i don't do that you know and once you get um, a little bit more seasoned in the sport, you kind of know what conditions, like you guys know. I mean, you, you guys really know how to catch them, so you guys get this. If you you can kind of look where you go, Andrew, out in um, Erie, you, there's certain conditions, certain things you look for, whether it's uh, the current, whether it's the clarity, a temperature, or something you found, structure. You, you kind of know what to look for. So in a kayak, if I pull up to an area and I uh, that I've you know really figured out is, is one of my waypoints I want to check out a launch. I want to check out to go to a certain spot. I'll be able to fish for a little bit and just look at that clarity, the temp that if there's current, not current, the vegetation that's there, what's there and be able to tell it's, this has potential or it doesn't 
and maybe it's because I catch a few fish here and there, but once I catch a, a couple fish, I'm gone. I want to have as many spots as possible, you know, in, in my back pocket that I can go to because especially if you're fishing skinny stuff, because you never know who's going to show up the next morning. If 10 people show up there and you all think you're going to win out of this smaller Creek, it's, then no one's winning. Like no one's doing good at all. If there's that many people. So you got to have backup areas to go hit. And uh, at Dardanelle, it just happened to work out where I had a spot that was good for numbers. And then I would leave and go to a spot that I had kicker fish. There weren't many there and I couldn't get, I wasn't positive. I could get a limit there. Cause you would only catch like a, 12, 13, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 incher or an 18 inch plus. There was nothing in between. And I needed mm -hmm. a couple 18 inch plusers, um, which if you go check out on my Instagram, one of the coolest fish catches ever was the big fish of that tournament I caught. It was like 21 and a quarter inches. And it, it's, uh, I mean, that little 10 foot, you know, crescent ultralight, a little boat. And I throw this whopper plopper on the back of a root ball and a small fish hits it, right? And it gets on and I'm skiing it in. I'm like, oh, a little teeny fish. And it comes off and it lands right by the, another root ball. And this, there's like two or three blowdowns at one spot here. And a giant, like 21 and a quarter incher comes up out of the water. A largemouth completely comes out of the water, like a smallie and hits the swapper plopper and had a horsem over uh, all the logs. It was a pretty cool catch to have a little fish get off and a big one hit it. And it ended up being big fish of the tournament. And I won by tiebreaker. So it obviously, um, helped me win that tiebreaker, which is big fish. But anyway, the, the prep is different. And, uh, for sure. And that's the one thing that I, you know, he's, he's, I think he's motivated to get better at this side of things. And if you have multiple places and you scout and you can go and visit as many of those as possible, you're going to be better off at tournament day, because then you really start to lean on them and lean on that spot and you know what you got. And then at the middle of after day one, if it's not really happened there, I mean, you're not going to go somewhere you didn't catch fish pre-fishing, so maybe you're catching some fish, but not getting the size you want, or maybe you're not getting even the numbers, but you know, you caught some pre-fishing, at least you got four or five other places you possibly can go to. And then it's a two day tournament. So maybe you move there and you have the second half of day one there, you do good and you end up like you're still kind of in the hunt. And then you can spend all day there to all day there the next day and really lean on them. Uh, and you can, you can win that way. You don't have to be, perfect on day one because somebody who crushes them on day one because they have it dialed in or maybe they have already beat their fish up because they've pre-fished it too much and caught too many fish in their area right they might really falter on day two because really it's like day three or four of them wearing out their fish and so that's that's kind of how i um do my prep work and how i approach you know the tournaments Totally just realized I had my mic muted for a second. Um, I'm glancing back at my other screen because the Penguins are tied 4-4 with Washington with a couple minutes left. Uh, wow, but, nice. But we, we've been going on for, for a while here, and I think this is a conversation. I, I still even have other questions that I would love to ask you. So we're going to have to have you on again. Um, but I want to wrap this up here in a second. But before we do, Andrew, do you have any more questions for Drew? No, nah, man. Uh I hope you have a successful 2021 and I greatly appreciate it. I, I kind of like, and I enjoyed talking with the kayak guys because it's a different realm. I've never been really associated with besides fishing alongside with Bailey. So it's kind of cool to get to hear your perspective and the stories and all the cool things that you've done, like fighting a five and a half pound shoal bass in the middle of class <laughs> three rapids on the yeah. Georgia river. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, the average person probably would have, you know, pooed themselves through that 
situation, <laughs> your conundrum you're in. So, yeah, that's who's to say I didn't. Who could know? So, I mean, I, I think it's cool, and I appreciate you taking the time and coming on and hanging out with us for a little bit. So, we look forward to having you again. Hopefully, all the viewers enjoy this as well because there was a lot of bass knowledge dropped that. Maybe a lot of people don't know about like the subspecies and certain species of fish. Like I knew about the shoal, I knew about the red eye, I knew about the Guadalupe or Guadalupe Guadalupe largies in Texas. But the one I didn't know difference was between the Coosa River, Alabama spot, yeah, and Kentucky. Really. So I was definitely able to learn something. Right, so I appreciate that. That was cool. Heck yeah, cool yeah. man, and that's awesome. Yeah. Drew, before we uh, before we let you go, though, we still have one question for you because you are new to the show, and that is, uh, man, if you could sit down, have a steak, have a beer, three different individuals doesn't have to be the fishing industry; they don't have to be presently alive, so they could be alive a thousand years ago. What three individuals are you going to invite to sit oh, down with their brain? Yeah, I should have thought about this one beforehand. <laughs> oh <laughs> uh, man, you know, I think it would be. Wow, that's a good question, man. I think it'd be cool to sit down and have a steak with, uh, obviously, I think Jesus. I think that's a good one, right? Can't go wrong with that, um, for sure. That'd be nuts. And, hmm, let's see, another one. Let's see, I'll, I'll try to find somebody in fishing here. That they don't have to be fishing. I know, it doesn't have to be, but I think it'd be cool to have one, at least, in fishing. <laughs> um, Fair enough. Man, probably, I'm trying to think who's somebody that, probably maybe someone like Larry Dahlberg, you know what I mean? Um, just, he's kind of like the hunt for big fish. And he's not more like, I think the, these days, mainstream kind of popular dudes, but I'm pretty sure he's the guy that also, you know, invented the Whopper Plopper. And mm-hmm. uh, he's just, you know, hooked on wild waters is my thing. That's what he was all about. And he's not really, doesn't really care to be, I guess sort of mainstream popular. He's just kind of low key catches huge fish and doesn't really, you know, care how, if everyone follows him or not, just kind of does his thing. So he's kind of cool. Um, and then I had to pick one more, probably somebody in sports, man. Um, I don't know, probably like Tiger Woods or somebody like a golfer or somebody, someone in sports who's just done a lot of cool stuff. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I should have thought about that one, man. Those answers stink, other than Jesus, yeah. right? <laughs> You're not allowed to think about it. That's the whole point. Yeah. yeah that's no. why we, ne- we never tell anybody near the show about that question. Like, we'll send you a loose outline and stuff we're going to talk about. But, like, we never, ever tell people about that question unless they unless they know that it's coming because they've listened prior. It's, it's one of those things where, like, we like that spontaneous thing. Because, like, as Andrew likes to point out, it's like you'll get off of here and you're like, Dang, I should have said that person. And, and it, it kind of gets you like something almost like a perspective to think about, which is why we yeah. love asking it. But uh, it's definitely cool. And, and do we really appreciate you taking time tonight yeah. to sit down and talk to us? We're definitely going to have you on on the show again. And uh, hopefully, hopefully, get some that coffee doesn't keep you up too late. Yeah. Hopefully not, man. Hopefully not. I'm sure I can. I can still manage somehow, or I can just go do some more research. You know, more satellite yeah. study for yeah. some future tournaments, but. No, it's been great. I appreciate you guys having me. And uh, for those out there, just as I end this here, if you guys are interested in kayaks, you know, I've, I have a new model coming out or my first model with Crescent Kayaks this spring. Sometime this spring, maybe late spring. We're not sure exactly, but 
uh, it's pretty much it's done in in theory. Like I've seen it on the computer and everything, and designed it uh, with the guys over there, and it's pretty awesome. I wish I could talk about it. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. So, um, guys, check that out. And I think a lot of you out there, a lot of listeners, and love to do this kind of stuff that I love to do. Will love this kayak. And just appreciate all, all, of, all of my sponsors, everyone who supports me. I really consider them like family, not sponsors, uh, because they are. And, and um, you know, I couldn't do it without them and without folks like you in the media um, who just take the time to put together, you know, a great podcast like this and, and share our passion for the same thing, which, like we said earlier, it kind of all should unite us instead of tear us apart. We all love to, to catch bass. And uh, so I appreciate you guys as well. So. If you guys want to follow me on social media, it's just Drew Gregory Fishing at most most places on social media, Instagram and YouTube and um, Facebook page. But um, I think uh, Hooked on Wild Waters is uh, the podcast, so go check it out on all the major podcast platforms where we get into all kinds of craziness uh, as well, just like just like Andrew and, and Bailey here. Heck yeah, man. Everything will be uh, linked down below for people looking around. Just go to the description. We made it easy on you. Now you can follow, follow Drew with the click of a button. So go over and uh, follow along with him. And, and dude, we'll be, uh, we'll be rooting for you at the 10th Invitational. Go wall upon some yeah. big old Florida bass. Uh, I believe it's on Kissimmee, right? On Kissimmee, man. Yep. Right. I'm actually doing a live stream this Friday. My first live stream, by the way. I'm going to try to oh. step up my game like you guys with a, a guy down there. Uh, his name is – he goes by Captain Goggles. And uh, we're going to talk to him. So if you guys are interested in fishing the Kissimmee tournament or want to learn about it, He's going to answer questions live and preview the whole, you know, chain of lakes and uh, kind of tell you a little bit about he what he thinks the fish are doing and where they could be. So uh, Kissimmee's going to be – actually, that's besides Champlain and, and Lacrosse. It's, it's one of the ones I'm most excited about. So I cannot wait to get back down there, warm weather, and catch some big uh, Florida strain largemouth. Yeah. Heck yeah, man. Yeah. Well, uh, it's been fun, and we we're, we're appreciate you taking time out, dude, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, All right, guys. See you later. Thanks. Take care, Drew. That was good. There was a lot of really good uh, context there and discussions. Yeah. Like, now obviously, learning about the species, which we both had no idea with the Alabama bass. I didn't. Yeah. Like, I, I always, thought that would have been big news for that change, but yeah. like, what the heck? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I always knew there was a difference between the Coosa River spots and like the other ones that were kind of everywhere else. Right. I didn't know they were infiltrating and being moved, which is kind of crazy. But uh, I mean, those Coosa River spots are just mean, mean big fish. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of cool. Like yeah. that—that's a bucket list trip for me. Is I want to go down to like Jordan River or the Alabama River and try to catch one of those big Coosa spots. It just looks like yeah. fun. Oh, so yeah, I want to go down the Coosa River and then Lake Lanier is definitely a big bucket list. It's one of, you know, that area as well. But and then talking, you know, the, what he brought up as well. Drew brought up was. You know, the kayak versus boat, you know, because we both heard it too, the banter. And, you know, we have buddies that tease me. Uh, we tease right back, you know, the whole kayak versus boat. <laughs> <Of course. thing>. <laughs> <laughs> Boris, at Steve, at Connor, and like a yeah. bunch of the guys that we, we joke around with. But it's – they both have their advantages, disadvantages. And I think, you know, an angler that's been in both, I think, is, is well off. I think that you can learn from both different scenarios. But either way, a lot of good context tonight. A lot of things that uh, people can take from, but yeah. Uh, yeah, really good show. Huge thank you again, Drew. Like, like I said, everything's down below. Link if you guys want to go check them out. 
um, and, uh, his, his show as well. I'll be tuning in Friday to uh, his live stream. That'll be a good a good show to see how he does. And good luck to him down in the Florida Temptational. Yeah. But uh, with that being said, dude, do you have anything else left for the folks before we sign off tonight? No, nah, man. I hope you all have a good night. Well, good day at this point. I don't know why. <laughs> have a good day. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. That's going to do it for today, folks. We appreciate everyone for tuning in, for listening and watching which, from whichever platform you are viewing or listening from. As always, we appreciate it. We'll see you guys on Friday.